and uh, we are eager to to hear from you and to get to know you better where you've where you've been what you've experienced in life so the first thing i'll ask you is just after watching that video i know you've watched it many many times to us those are just you know people we don't know in the video but for you you watch that video and those are those are friends you know most of the people's names in those in in that documentary uh what what feelings come up as you watch that again When I watched the video, it always make me sad, and it, it make me, you know, remember the bad day that I was living. And you see on the video, I was sick and I was looking at rest Cunnington, so it make me to feel bad. And that's that's the reality is that the memories are always very near the surface, and and these are just the reminders of them. Uh, the the lady who uh, it was speaking at the beginning of this of this documentary, what was her name? Her name is Helen Segway. And do you know where she is today? Yeah, all of them in Saint Petro. She's there. Okay, so many of these people are still living in these types of conditions. Most of them are still there. Because we are about 364, and it only take about 14 families to travel to Canada. But all the, all the other people are still there. The children, they are still there. Okay, so there was about 364 people in, in your group. Family here. Oh, 364 families, yeah. so, so many more yeah. than that, depending on how many are in the family. And you said so far, how many families have been sponsored? 14. 40? 40. 14. 14. Yeah. 14. See, you're <laughs> Good job. 14 families, so, yeah, so of, of, of that many. So a, a small percentage, but some have, but many are still there. Yeah. Okay, we want to give everyone a, a chance to learn a little bit more about, about where you come from, what, uh, what your upbringing was like. So tell us just a little bit about your upbringing in Liberia and what was, what was your life like before the war broke out? In Liberia, when I was born, my mother, she's a Christian. At the same time, she's a nurse in a bad state hospital. Then my father, he was a Muslim, and he was working with a company, the Lango Company. He was a, a, a plumber in the company. And I I have my brothers and my sister. I was the older for my mother at the first child. I have my little sister and my little brother. And life was so good. At least we were going to school. We were a family. And everything was all get before the war. Okay, so... Uh as far as what life was like in Liberia, things were good. Your, yeah. your dad was a plumber. Yeah. You were the oldest child in your family. Yeah. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? Or do 
I was having two brothers and I have four sisters. Two brothers and four sisters, so seven children by my math. Yeah. Okay. I think I got it right. <laughs> okay. And how about for you, Felicia? What was life like for you uh, yes. before war broke out? Yes. Bef- Hello? Yeah, it's working. Hello. Yes. Before the war, in Liberia, I was living with my parents, going to school, and life was very good for us. Okay, so just to give you a little bit of a, a time frame, you were you would have been growing up in Liberia before the war, in uh, would have been the nineteen eighties, is that correct? In when when did war break out? Nineteen ninety. In nineteen ninety, so so it was during the nineteen eighties is when you remember life was was good. You were yeah. you were secure. There was safety. Yeah. You weren't you weren't afraid of, of violence. No. Of course, by, by our Canadian standards, their lives at that point would have still been very poor in comparison to how we live. But for them, life was good. They had each other, and, and they were safe. So um, both of you, at this point, your, your stories are a little bit different. So I'd like to hear uh, from both of you. And so for you, Zoe, um, I understand that your father converted from Islam to Christianity before marrying your mother. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and what was the cost uh, for your family as a result of your father converting to Christianity? Okay. When my mother met my father, at that time he was a Muslim. And his Muslim name at that time, they used to call him Jamel. Then when when he and my mother started, he converted to Christianity. And he changed the name from Jamel to Jimmy. Then, later what I can remember, it was 1987. We were in my father's home. And when he got converted in the morning when we were praying, the family all came together, and they bust the door, they entered the house, and they started to beat my father. And from there, all of them get together, they said they would kill him. Because they don't want to see him calling the name of Jesus or praying or having a woman who is Christian. Then from there, it was 1987. If I can remember, it was my birthday was coming in April. And at that time, it was Easter was coming. Then my father told my mother that if we not leave, the people will kill us. My family will kill us. So take your children, all of us, so we can go to your parents. Then my mother said, okay. So from there, at the night, that April, we pack up from the house, and we get in the car, and we went to Grand Jide to my mother's home. When we get there, my mother's family, they welcome my father, and they say, the God that you believe in today is our God. So welcome home, free, free, wheresoever you are, there is your home. He said, okay. And he settled there. Other all were there. We went to school. There was no problem till when a war broke up in 1990, my father said that maybe 
Since Wacom and Abel Law, maybe my family will send me back. So I'm going back to my family to see if they will accept me. Then my mother said, if I all, we will now go with all the children. We can go with Unezo. And the other children should be with my sister. Till when the family agree, then we'll call the other children to join us later. When we get there, 1990, in February, when we get to Bomi County, we went to my father's house. My father then was having six children with a Muslim wife. Six children. He was having three boys, three girls. So when we entered the house, the all the family came together and said, okay, we have a casting for you. We will bury you because for us, you are dead. Then my father was trying to plead. Then my uncle named Siaya, he came. And he said that we were not expecting you to come back here. And so say you came here, we will bury you and your family. So my mother told my father that night, but at each time, they will be around because they didn't want for my father and my mother to escape again. Till after two days, there's my big brother, my father's older son named Mustafa. When he came, you know, he knocked at the door, I opened it, and he was so, he was talking like, he was so nice. Oh, you welcome, you know, for long, this one, where is uh, your mom and where is daddy? I said, they are in the room. He said, okay. But before he passed me, another three men were with him. They passed. We're gone. When they enter in a, in a, in a room, he, he forced a room door. So I was trying to like run outside. Then my uncle asked, but why are you going? I said, no, I want to go and drink water from the kitchen. He said, okay. So before then, I just heard the gun sound. And I was hearing my father, my daughter, run. Run, they are killing us, run. And I went. Before I see myself, I was in the same the children's house. I never knew what happened to me again till I found myself to the same the children and the medicine some frontier compound that they, they brought me to Ezra in We can't even begin to imagine what you've been through. And thank you for, for your courage in sharing that. Uh, for, for those of you who might not have caught all of it, uh, her, her father, upon converting to, to Christianity from Islam, they, they moved away knowing that their, their lives were in jeopardy because of his family's um, feeling obligated that their honor required that if someone converted away from their family's religion from Islam that that they would have to either get rid of them by getting them to leave or or killing them and so um, moving away thinking time enough time had passed that they could come home and be safe and as Zoe just just shared that clearly wasn't the case and 
and her father uh, was was shot by his own family. And uh, so that is even before um, the the rest of the refugee situation took place. That was some of what your your family's trials went through before war, war broke out because yeah. of because of your father's choice yeah. to to put his faith in Jesus and he wouldn't give that up. Yeah. It was in 1987 everything began. Then 1990 war came. So it was before the war, about years before the war. Yeah. Okay. Uh thank you so much Zoe. Um Felicia, um for you, your story is obviously different than, than Zoe's. So tell us a little bit about your your tribe and why you and your family had to flee and go into, into hiding. Okay. I was born Christian because my parents were Christian. And our tribe in Liberia, they call the tribe Crown. And the Crown has a society that you have to do. So as a Christian, I refuse to do that. Because when you are doing that, the female circumcision, I refuse to do that. Because as a Christian, you don't do that. So I refuse when they call my father, they said that Felicia is at the age to go there. In our tribe, if you don't go in the societal bush to do the female security, you don't get the right to go among your friends. So I told them, no, I can't do it. So my father said that, I can decide for you. I know that we are Christians. As a Christian, we don't do them. So the people asked me to do it, and I refused. I refused to do it because in our tribe, if they are doing it, they carry the girls, Early December. So when they asked me, I said no. Each time they call the family to go and have meeting. After the meeting, my father would say, Felicia, what are we going to do? I said, Father, I can't serve two gods at the same time. I am a Christian and I can't do that. And he said, okay. And we were there in the town. Our family, we don't have a right to go among people because I refuse. So, 1989, when they call us for the last time, I refuse. So, at night, when we were sleeping, they sent a group of people, a group of boys, to the house. When they came to the house, they went and bust the door, and they entered. When they entered, they caught me and carried me in the society bush to go and do the female circumcision. When we went, while the lady were working on the other girls, my mom came because they do it at night. So my mom came and she and myself, we ran away and we went in a church compound for rescue. When we went, when the people noticed that we were in the church, they came to the pastor. And they told him to give me over. And the pastor said, no, she's here for rescue. And they went, they used the African song. They went, they, the whole place became dark. And they went and stuck their leg knee. And the pastor, really, he was not able to keep in, give me no more. He told my mom, he told my dad that we should go. 
So we left the town and we went in the bush. At that time, I was one month old pregnant. So we went in the bush. We, we stayed in the bush until eight months. In the bush, June 13, 1990, and I gave birth to my girls. Okay, so... Uh, when I gave birth to my children, my twins, my five children were born June 13, 1990, in Liberia, in the bush. So we were there, and they were looking for us. Because in our society... When you refuse, like I'm here now, the age I have now, even if I having to go back to Liberia, I have to do that. So they were looking for me when they met us in the bush, and they said, "You Felicia, since then we've been looking for you, and you've been making us to suffer." And they tied me. They did things to me, but really there are some things that I can't explain in public. So I'll just, if if it's all right, I'll just give you a moment, and and just yeah, to yeah, to fill so everyone when they in. Came, my father and my mom, they were in the, they were on the farm. So when they came ready, they were tying me. The one they wanted to do to me, really, they did what they wanted to do, and after I gave birth on days after. When they came, my mom, dad and my mom were coming from the farm. At that time, the, the, the war was going on, the people were shooting. And really, they, were, they told us, they, they said that they were going to kill our parents, they were going to kill me before they killed my parents. So they went and told my, 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 daughter, my daughter, they went and told one, even now she had the, the, the mark on her head and on her, on, her, on her face. And since that time, since 1990, well, I went through that because I had two brothers and three sisters. We were all in that bush. And since 1990, I don't know the way of my parents. Since 1990, I don't know the way of my parents. And we were in that place. People took me from the bush because at that time, I couldn't walk. And they took me and we crossed with my brothers and my sisters. And we went to Ivory Coast in 1990. And we were there. We were that our Red Cross were taking care of me and my sisters and my brothers during that time. So uh, the, the, the tribe that Felicia is from is called the Kron. I'm sure most of you picked that up. And uh, they have a, it's a tribal custom which goes back many generations, centuries, of, of doing this female circumcision. Um, and so... <clears throat> It's uh, obviously a, a very traumatic thing, and and as you heard Felicia say, they refused, and so that was where all of this trouble for her began, because as Christians, they refused to do this. However, in that society, even if you're Christian, because they say, well, it's a tribal custom, you have to do it, that as she said, even today, if she was to go back anywhere in Liberia, not even the region where the, the, the Kron tribe are, people would eventually tell them, find out, and they would come looking for her. because, and, and no one would stop them. No police, no government would stop them because that's their tribal custom. So, therefore, that's just what we do. So, uh, the, the, the plight of women is still very real in, in uh, that part of the world today. And it's, 
it's not an isolated incident what Felicia just shared. That was um, very, very common for, for her tribe from the the Kron people. Now, uh, both of your, you both have experienced extreme uh, trauma and situations before even the Civil War broke out. Uh, and so I, I know that between the two of you, you both found in each other uh, kindred spirits. You, you could identify with each other. So tell us a little bit about your friendship. Uh, how, did you, how and where did you first meet? And then at what point did you decide to band together? It was in 1988 because from my mother village town and to Felicia town, they are very far a bit. But our schools play games together. We have a female ball that we call the kickball. So at that time, Felicia, she was a captain for the, for the one of girls team. And when we went to their town, I just became friends. She asked me that I asked her that she became my friend, and we were friends from that 88, 89 when walking, but we were in different town. So after when walking, everybody get to their side. And in, in Abidjan 2010, we bought her in UN compound again. At that time, I never knew her, and she not know me. Because she was so fat and I was, yeah, say I was sick and dry, so she wouldn't make me up. But when we were sitting down, let's try from our own place from time to time, that she said, ah, but your fellow familiar. I said, yes, you too. She said, oh, but I'm Felicia. I said, but I'm Zoe. Rather well, you know, we cut our friends and begin to cry. But where is her family? I explained and she explained. For that, she said, okay, but say we know each other for long, I want you to be my elder sister, and I'm your sister. I live from now till, if we say everywhere we go, we should be the sister until death. So I said, okay. So we be together, and we live together till, till here today, and we stay living together. Okay. So who is better at kickball? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, if I understand, she was the captain of her team. Yeah. Okay, all right. That's so wonderful, and the way you you are there for each other, you're more than sisters. It, it's the way you've you support each other. It's been amazing to see. Um, so, uh, when when civil war broke out in the Ivory Coast in the fall of 2010, and and it carried over into 2011. Um, in the unrest that followed, both of you lost contact with family and especially your children. And so, Felicia, can you just explain to us uh, sort of just the circumstances of, of how that happened? Okay. Before going to Abidjan with my children, we were in Tulubli. You know, because the Africans share a border with Liberia. So when we were in Tulopli at that time, you know, the age I was, I have my children, my brothers, and my sister. So when we were in Tulopli doing life, you know, we were from when we came to records from the beginning, it was very high because they speak French. And we, at that time, we didn't even know how to say good morning in French. So we were there going through life. People in Tulopli, they have a market day, which is on Monday. 
and people cross from Liberia to come and buy things and go back to Liberia. So when they when they came, one of my brothers, one of my cousins, saw me in the market and he was trying forcing me, carry me back to Liberia. So at that time I was crying in the market and when the people came around. So they said no. They were looking there, the man, the, the place we were living, and he said, Felicia, if you stay here, they will still carry you back to Liberia. So what you decide to do? I said, I want to leave this place. And I have my auntie, my father's sister, who was living in some part of Ari Coast. They call the place Jokwe. And she decided for us to go to Jokwe. I said, no, I will go Abijin. And she said, okay, since you are going Abijin with your children, the children should live with me in Jokwe. You go. I said, no, I can't leave my children. My sisters and my brothers should be, should be with you, but I am going alone with my children. How come I went Abijin with my children? And we were in Abidjan doing good life for going on good. <clears throat> when the 2010 war broke up, my aunt asked me for me to go to Kwe to be with her, with the children. And I told her, no, I was not going to Kwe. And she asked me, okay, Felicia, since you don't want to come to Kwe, send the children over to me, then they will be with me. My two twins I have, and in Arikos, I born in Nelogia, she is 20, and my twins now they are 26. And my second child, she is 20. I have three girls, 26 and 20 years old. So she asked me to carry the children, and the, the children went to Hosni Dukwe. So when the war was too high, and she called me, she, for the last time she called me, it was 2010. She said, Felicia, we are finding ways to go had a pastoral man and go Guinea for rescue. <coughs> I said, okay. So she was with my children, and I was in Abidjan in USC, Arrow Compound for rescue. But since, 19, since 2010, I have not heard from my children, from my sisters, my brothers, my aunties since 2000. <laughs> Or, or sisters since 2010, um, uh, six years, and uh, it's something that, as you can see, it's uh, we can't imagine what that what that's like, and yet uh, what has so inspired me in in getting to know Zoe and Felicia, and when they speak of what they've been through and what they've uh, shared here this morning, more than they've shared with with any of us and myself previously, and I thank you for that. Uh, what has so inspired me is is how you have you have kept going. You have never um, you have never used what you've been through as as an excuse to to stop to stop trying to stop pressing forward. And and everything you've been through when you've shared these things with me, there's been so many times where I've said to you, "How did you keep going? Like, why didn't you just stop and say that's it? I I can't go. I I can't take anymore. What is it?" that has kept you going uh, through all of that you've experienced? It's a faith that I have in God. Because for me, I believe that because of this thing, God, that my father and my mother died. So I will never give up. 
I will see I know he will never leave me too. He will never abandon me. He will never leave me in suffering. And I'm having a faith. And I'm still having it that one day I will see my sister and my brother too. Because the same God I'm making, Father will be here. He is the same. Tomorrow he will do it again. Amen. Amen. And and I know Felicia has shared with me many times that her her great hope for her children is that we will be able to find where they are, uh, locate them, and and Lord willing, somehow bring them here to Canada. That is our great desire, and we've been we've been praying to that end, and we will continue to pray to that end. And as you just said, Zoe, the same God who has seen you through all of this has brought you safely here to Canada is the same God who is watching over your children, and He uh, He will make a way. We we pray. And so one of the encouraging things for me, and I know it was for you, was uh, there was another family from Liberia who were recently settled as refugees here in Manitoba as well, in Carberry, and they were able to come down to Clarny to visit. And the lady, uh, she was uh, a little bit older than Zoe and Felicia. She had um, slightly older children with her. Um, but she also had some children missing back in, in Africa as well. And she had literally learned two or three days before coming to Canada, she had just found out where one of her, her missing children was, and she had contacted them. So they are now in contact. And so that was just such an encouragement to know that it does happen, it can happen, and we're, we're praying for, for Felicia and for her children that that will happen as well. And so I know that um, I'm not speaking out of turn here when I say that if you have any one thing that you want to pray for when you think of of Zoe and Felicia, and especially what Felicia just shared, pray for her children. Pray that they can be, you know, that they are safe wherever they are, and pray that they can be found. Uh, I I think there's not a there's not a mother or a, or a father in this room who who can't uh, empathize with with her plight. That what's more important than knowing where your children are and that they're safe. Um, and so uh, pray for them, uh, for their children. So. So there's, uh, there's so much more that you could share where uh, you've shared so much already. Uh, there's just, uh, there's one story in particular that you shared with me that just really, um, just really touched me. And uh, it, it's a story you told me of an incident while as refugees in the Ivory Coast that at one point uh, you were in an, uh, a refugee camp that wasn't a sanctioned camp, as so many of these weren't. You weren't necessarily under UN protection or anything. You were just trying to, to find some help anywhere. And so at one point, you're in this uh, temporary settlement camp, and the government actually sent soldiers to disperse that camp. And, and you told me uh, of what happened there that day that I just found so um, inspiring. Can you just tell us just a little bit about that? Uh, you don't have to go into great detail, but, but the, the way the story goes in the songs that you sang in particular just really struck me. Okay, it was August, August 2011. It was about 8, 7 in the morning because after when we were on the UN compound, after the video, then there was a Catholic people who took us on their compound in St. Petro, not in Abidjan. When we get to St. Petro in a Catholic compound, 
We were there at least. It was okay. They used to cook for us and what have you. Later on, the government heard that the Liberians were on camp in St. Petro. They sent their army to camp because they said they don't want the camp Liberian to group together anywhere in their country. And they sent soldiers on the camp. But before they came that morning, we were at a devotion. When they came, they started, first they threw tear gas, and they started beating people. Some children died there. We have a little girl who died there. Some people still move. A woman had me carry. They started beating people. But the people were around, but nobody wanted to talk. So the only place we will have to face, at least for us, our protection was God. And we were singing, God, we are on the battlefield. Empower us that we will overcome. And every children, everybody was singing. And due to that song, you know, people were singing. And those people that came to be us, some of them again, were standing and said, but you people have God, and where is their God? And you'll be suffering. Where is their God? But before we pray, we reach our time, 11 in the morning, at least most of them were tired, and, and people were, many were safe at that time. And we know that, yes, our God has done it for us again. So we left the compound because the Catholic said that they, the people destroyed their thing, so they now want us there again. And we left the camp, we in a bush, we start making plastic tank for ourselves to live. So that that we overcome there again. That is just, I don't know, it is incredible. And, and uh, when, when Zoe and Felicia first shared that story with me, they started singing the song that, that, uh, that, that they were singing at that, it, it, they call it a devotion. It was like a church service that they would have every morning. And, uh, when the soldiers were there, they started singing that song that she just said the words to. I'm on the battlefield, don't let me fall. Empower me, O God, so I may walk away. I'm on the battlefield, don't let me fall. Empower me, O God, so I may walk I am. Uh, if you're not overwhelmed by the courage of these of these two women, um, it is incredible. I, I am just new levels of just uh, inspiration and, and just uh, so just overcome by what you've been through and the faith you have in God that our God is able. You've been through so much, but He has He has brought you through. And that song you just sang is a testimony to that. That you've been on a battlefield, but but God has not let you fall. And uh, wow, what a testimony. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we're, we're going to quickly try to wrap up this last chapter of, of life. It's hard to go through over 25 years of life in, in an hour's time. But uh, we, I want to just kind of turn the corner. At what point uh, did you first hear about the opportunity to come to Canada? Um, and how did you decide to apply to come as as refugees to Canada. Okay, we did not apply to come to Canada. 
when we were living on a camp for years and they saw that we were suffering. You know, if I don't have problem in my country, I can go back home. Nothing is better than home. So they know that we can go back home and we are still just look the life like we were living. If you don't have problem in your home, you can live that life. And they were there, they asked us, they came, they, they did an interview. They asked us why we can't go back to Liberia. You know the story that we gave, we never went into details to explain everything. And they came, they asked why you can't go back to Liberia. And I sat, and when I go in front of the men, it's American, I was with the UNHCR. When you go, you explain why you can't go back to Liberia, why you can't stay in Arikost. And you do your interview. When, you, when they look in the interview, like my story, they go back to Liberia to ask what are the crown tribe they have this and the female security. They have to go and ask. They send people in Liberia to go and ask about the crown uh, uh, society, the tradition. And they say yes. And they came back and they said, okay, the story that Felicia is giving is a true story. So they say, okay. We know that you can't go back to Liberia. Each, when you go, so go, she explains her story. Everybody passed there, passed the interview, and you explain your story, why you can't go back to Liberia. After the interview, they say, okay, we know that you can't go back to Liberia, and we will see what we will do. But they didn't tell us that we will reset to you. And they went back months after. When they came, they said, okay, we accept you. We know that you people can go back to Liberia, but we will take your file and carry it to a country that will need refugees. So we were there. At that time, you know, Pastor, God is wonderful. We were on a camp. There was no food. But at that time, we were fasting. When you fast a whole day, at the end of the day, no food. You just take a cup of water, you drink, and you sleep. And we were having that hope. And people were laughing at us. But where is your God? And you people are suffering. And we say, God, he's there, and he will come out there that he will make a way for us. That was the song we were singing. If I should live a holy life, why should I worry? Why should I fear? Because I know my God will make a way for me. So we were there. When they came back, they said, okay, we took your file to Canada, and Canada accept you people. And Canada, the Canadian government sent a lady, an immigration lady, to, to it was in Ottawa last year when they told us that we were coming to Canada. We didn't apply, like only go alone that applied for us to be here today. In October last year, they said the Canadian government accepts your document, but we will come so we will let you all know when the people will be ready for you. We say, okay. Then after, it was in February, then our lady came and she told her, welcome to Canada. So we said, okay, you know, when she said, you welcome to Canada, which was in this year, February, you know. When she tell me, welcome to Canada, you know, I just bend my head and I pray. So I wake up. She said, oh, are you Christian? But because I see your father, your God has done it. So I say, okay. After when I left, Felicia also, you know, we begin to 
be happy. But they don't tell all the special day. Before they will tell all that, yeah, you're going to Canada tomorrow. It was in July, the 20th. They tell all that you're going to Canada tomorrow, but your place will be like Winnipeg. So we were happy. But the only thing that we were praying for is that God, me, I was praying. Fidisha also, when we pray in the morning, I said, Fidisha, let's pray. God should give us the sponsor. What will become Christian? What will be Christian? Because for me, I really and I want to leave God. Because if I have sponsor, why not Christian? It will not be good. So we pray for Christian sponsor. If there are couples, they should become Christian. Pastor and his wife. So it was our prayer that we meet with Christian sponsor. And God answered our prayer. Uh, we came in the hands of churches, but not church. At least in a town where everybody they are Christian and they are doing it for us. And before coming. While doing the interview with the immigration lady, when I entered before Zoe, when she looked at my file, and she saw, but who is Zoe? You people been living together for a while since Liberia. Before that, we were three. She said, but you people been living together for long. And I know that you said that. Hey, Thank you, William. I know Zoe is your sister. I will carry you people in the same state because I know Zoe is your sister. I can't separate you people. The timeline, if you didn't quite catch it, I, I, it's just one of those coincidence things, right? Where it was October of 2015 is when you first were, were put into the, to come to Canada. Yeah, yeah. So October of 2015 is right around almost exactly the time that we as a community began this project to bring refugees here. Coincidence. Uh, maybe, maybe not. One of those God-sized coincidences, I think. And then it, was, it wasn't until February of, of this year, so not that long ago, February of 2016, that they said to you, welcome to Canada, so you knew for sure you were coming. And then it was only on July 20th that they said, you're going to Winnipeg. <laughs> July 20th, and they arrived in Winnipeg on July the 26th. No, it's 25th. 25th, sorry, 25th. I should know I was there. Um, <laughs> it's all a blur to me. Uh, I can't imagine what it was for you. So five days after they're told you're, you're going, it was that fast from when they, you know, had to do their final papers and get everything signed, uh, documented on the plane. Then from, uh, let me see if I get this right, Abidjan to Paris, and then Paris to Toronto, and then Toronto to Winnipeg. And then what, what's really interesting to me is that upon arriving in Winnipeg, uh, that's all they'd been told is that they were coming to Winnipeg. So uh, at what point did you find out that you were coming to Clarny? The time we get to the airport that night, when we meet a group of people that said, because when we were coming, when we were in the plane from Toronto to Winnipeg, I asked Felicia, I said, ah, the way we are going and we don't know Winnipeg. And we just go in. How will we know? Or how would the people will know us? Or maybe what will we be? She said, let's go. The same God that will be trusting, don't lose faith. God will do it. People will be there. I said, okay. So when we came, I said, but Felicia, I'm not seeing nobody up here. Because in Tor uh, Toronto, the ladies that came to meet us, the IOM woman, she was from the plane, she was just here. 
So, but we were walking, come. I said, but Felicia, I'm not seeing nobody. She said, let's go. Immediately she said, oh, they are there. So I said, wow. But the people are plenty. So we were happy. But when we came down, you know, we saw the apply, welcome. To Felicia, welcome, Zoe and William. There is your new home. And what have you? We begin to share tears. Then from there, we went for my luggage. We went for the luggage. Then Laura told us that, oh, we are going in a hotel. Then tomorrow, we will pack up to go. So we say, where? She said, oh, it's just a two-hour drive from here. We'll go. That, so that the movement right from our airport, we know that we were coming to Colony. And then when she said it was a two-hour drive, you thought, how big is Winnipeg? How can it take two hours to get yeah. there? <laughs> so, but the next day when we were in a car coming, you know, we were coming, coming, coming. Then we we seen the farm and what have you. So, and William was talking. Then I, I spoke librarian in there. I said, shut up your mouth. The people are taking on. We are passing a desert. You're not seeing it. Why? They carry on. Then Felicia do me that day. I said, no, but Felicia see. The farm, farm, farm. So we are going in a bush again. Felicia said, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, the problem today is not because we are living in a small town. The problem is that God has answered our prayer because we were always praying to God, our good sponsors, and God has answered our prayer. We could be in Excelsior and we don't have we don't have good sponsors, but we are here. We have good sponsors. You know, Excelsior means nothing, so we are happy. Yeah, very good. Uh, we're happy to have you. What What were your first impressions when you arrived here in Clarny? Yeah, when we came to Colony, when we entered Pastor Carey or somewhere to show all the mugs, show all the, the park, they want them before, you know, our inside me, our happiness, oh, thank God. At least uh, that big city, because they have quota, they have lights, and they have supermarkets, so it's okay. But when we first get to the house, first, Laura said, she showed the photo, there is your house, and one of you. Because to the hotel in Winnipeg, you know, the bath, tub. So William said, wow, it's full. So we'll, we'll bathe in this one. I said, yeah. So I called Felicia. I said, Felicia, see, everything is white. Then Laura said, but to your place too, in the house, it's the same. So we were happy, you know. But when we get here, when they say, oh, there is your house, I stood and I began, you know, I run tears. Because in 1990 till 2016, to be in a real house, yes. So, you know, I look at Felicia, and she look at me, and, you know, they were opening places. There's the other one. We met with Chelsea. We met with Susie and Henry. And all of them were there. You know, they were showing her how to use things. Really, after when they left, we begin to pray, and we begin to thank God. Thank you. And we begin to cry. And then I just talk to myself. I say, yes, it is true. God, I answer my prayer. Amen. So we were so happy for us to be in the house, especially for William, for him to be in the house, to sleep on bed. Yeah, our first time for him. Yeah. As for, as for me, when we reached the Winnipeg, when we were coming down, I saw welcome Felicia, Zoe, and William. When we got there, 
The word that made me to share tears was welcome home. Because I can't go back to Liberia. Liberia is no more my home. And the Arabs we were living was not my home, and we were living a life that was not really conducive. So when I heard I welcome home, really it made me to share tears. When we met group of people waiting for us, because as a man of God, I told me, he told me once, he said, Felicia, I'm seeing you, you will live good life. And I see you people will welcome you as president. So you know that day when you people welcome us, I say, God, when you speak, it can come to truth. Yeah. Because he told me long ago, and I was, I was not even thinking about coming to Canada. I was on a camp suffering, crying, struggling. And he told me that you will live good life and people will welcome you as president. So, you know, the last day when we, when we meet you people, it makes me shed tears. Yeah. Now, I know that just what you said, uh, 26 years, you weren't in a real house. So, that's just it's just you've you've lived more of your lives as refugees than than in a stable uh regular environment so this even though um you know you're settled in you're you're a part of the, you're a part of the town now um it's still very fresh in comparison to what you've been living for so many years and and I know for myself personally one of uh the uh special moments and what you just referred to was when I was able to to say to you um, you're no longer refugees. Welcome home, because they're not refugees anymore. And and uh, I, I've I've sometimes struggled with not referring to them to that as shorthand, because then people know who I'm talking about. But no, they're not refugees. They're Zoe and Felicia, and uh, they're they're Clarnianites now. And uh, we're so we're so happy to have you here, making your home here, and welcoming you into our into our community and into our hearts. It's been it's been as much of a blessing for us as well maybe not as much as it has been for you it's hard to say that but it has truly been a blessing both ways um welcoming you here. I know that there was a couple of challenges with a few household items here. So what were some of the challenges you faced uh uh here in in adapting to life in in Canada? I understand there was an incident with the washer and dryer. Yeah. We, 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 we were facing more challenges, especially first when we came to go in our bathroom first, the hot water and the cold water. We now know how to use it. So when we opened the bar, William was yelling, the water is hot, the water is hot. So our girl, I said, but Felicia, what will we do? So yeah, then we called Laura, then she opened the other side smudges. So we said, okay. Then from there again, the washing machine. That morning, I put everything on. I said, I'm going to wash with machine. But in the morning, when we do that day, it was not opening. We do it up. It was not opening. Everywhere, we check, 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 check. Till around 8, 9. Then we call Laura. I said, Laura, she said, I said, please come. She came. When she do that day, it was open. So we say, wow. She said, yes. And we have some toaster. We don't know how to use toaster. Because we eat bread just like that. So, or maybe we'll put it in a frying pan. We'll just, nah, nah, nah. So, so. It's an African toast. <laughs> yeah. 
You just, you just let it burn. You just do that. Then you turn it around in a frying pan. It finished. So when they brought a toaster, uh, uh, Susie then brought a toaster, we plug it in. I said, but Felicia, why are we putting a bread? She said, but well, we don't know. So let's leave it. And we left it till we had Chelsea, and she showed us how to do the, the toasting, the washing machine, when you, it, when you dry it out, you put soap, it should stop. Chelsea taught her everything. And the, 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 dry, the dryer, how many times, what have you, and the oven, we now know how to use it. So Chelsea went and taught her too. But the digital washing machine now, we are waiting for Chelsea because the coal is coming and we now know how to use it. So it's a challenge and the coal too. Because this is our first time for to see snow. And we, will be so, we are so happy to see the snow. So every morning, you know, we'll look outside. The small little snow that came the last time, within William the first, when he came out, he saw the snow, he said, Mama, Mama, come, the earth is falling. <laughs> you know, I ran outside. When I said, Felicia, that's true. The earth is on the ground for true. When she came, she said, oh, wow, thank God. We now reached to Canada for true. And I went outside, I said, me, I'm going to touch it. I get outside, I put my hand on the ground, I said, yeah, Felicia, that, that earth for true, you know. And we were so happy, but it's not still long. And it went back. So we, we are still waiting for it. We want to see it again. Yeah. The rest of us here are hoping you have to wait for a long time. <laughs> because right now you're going to see the snow and you're going to say, wow. And then in another six months, you're going to say, bye, snow. <laughs> our, our, our friends are still back there. They are still waiting for some photo for, with the snow. They told us that when the snow comes, you people should please take photo and post it to us on Facebook because we want to see you people on snow. When we see you on the white, we know that God will do it for us too. So we are waiting to take photo in the snow. <laughs> I guarantee you that that will be answered. <laughs> Uh, the, these ladies, one of the things you know uh, that I hope you've picked up on if you've had any interaction with them, I'm sure you have, is that even with everything they've shared, what they've been through in life, there is so much laughter and so much joy in, in their lives. Um, more often than not, when Leanne and I get together with them, we're, we're laughing. And there's so much joy and laughter. Um, that such a vibrant people that naturally you, you love to celebrate and you love to rejoice and, and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. They were telling me about their worship services. They're a little bit more colorful than ours. And, uh, uh, how the, the, pe- the pastor was basically a, a well, for my best description would be part of a, a, a Congo line going up into the stage that here comes the man of God and there's drums going and dancing and singing. And uh, I said, we'll work on that here at the Mennonite Church. Uh, <laughs> they're going to have to teach me a few moves first, though. But but uh, they're, they're such a joyful people. And with everything they've been through, the smiles on your faces, the laughter, um, it truly is a testament to God's goodness that with everything you've been through, you are not, you are not destroyed. You are not crushed. 
but that God has, as you've shared so many times, he has sustained you, he has strengthened you, he has been your rock, and your testimony to him uh, is just wonderful. I, every last one of us here, myself included, has been touched by it here today, and so let's just show our appreciation to Zoe and Felicia. Well, we are going to wrap it up with that. Uh, there's a lot to process. Um, one of the things I will uh, encourage all of you is there's, there's going to be parts of their story that you definitely picked up on, maybe parts that you weren't quite as clear on as you converse with each other. Um, let's, uh, if you're not sure on something, let's not pass it along as fact, but maybe do some, some fact-checking back just to make sure that we're, we're relaying uh, their story as accurately as possible. But I think, if nothing else, you'll have left here with a sense today that what they've been through, we can't imagine, but God has been good to them. He has brought them here. And I want to say to each one of you who has been a part of, of that process and bringing them here, that you were used by God to answer their prayers and bring them to a safe place here in Canada. And so God has used all of us together on their journey. And isn't that how God works? He uses his people and he stirs hearts and he answers prayers. And it's, it's, uh, it's such a mystery to me how God can hear Zoe and Felicia's prayers over in, in Ivory Coast. And then he can work in our hearts here and we're praying and he can, he can connect the dots in a way that only God can. And uh, we have no idea sometimes what we're praying for, but God says, I hear those prayers and I'm working everything out in my time. And so we can trust him that God is at work. And so um, thank you again, Zoe and Felicia. Uh, for everything you shared this morning, it was it was way more than than I even expected. But I think we'll all leave here today feeling a little bit more blessed uh, for what we have here in Canada, and also I hope feeling stirred that we can continue to be a part of being used by God to answer the prayer uh, of others as well. So.